please turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. There's a great quote in one of my, really it is one I wasn't, didn't do very well. I don't know that it was universally liked, but one of my favorite movies, it's called The Village, where I can't go into the whole story, but where one of the town elders is speaking to the others in light of the fact that their attempt to create a perfect and peaceful society is in jeopardy. And he says to them, the world moves for love. It kneels before it in awe. It's, it's a wonderful thing to be in love. I'll, I'll, I'll never forget the moment. I, I really won't because it was just a moment when I realized that everything that I felt for my wife, Christy, prior to her being my wife, that it was love, that I loved her. Uh, it was my, and that, that, I, that I had to marry her. It was my birthday. Um, I came over to her apartment. She had made a little cake for me and got me a gift. And I, I don't, it's a very simple thing, but there was, there was a sweetness to it that just, I thought, okay, I cannot be without this woman. I couldn't do it. And uh, if you ask me to define, my point is, if you ask me to define my love for Christy, it would be something like that. In other words, I, I wouldn't say, well, there's this thing called love, and that's what I have for her. I would have to say um, that that impulse that I have, that to me says, I cannot live without this woman, that is how I would say I know that I love her. Love is not an easy thing to explain or to define. We talk about it all the time. We use it and we, we feel it, right? We do, but it's very hard to define or to even explain, even if we're just talking about the love between a man and a woman or between family members. That's different, right? Or even between friends. It's one of these things where you, you just know it when you see it, you know it when you feel it, and, and I think the movie's right. We stand in awe of it when we really can see it. Then there are degrees of love, right? I mean, we, we love steak, right? If, I mean, if you're sane, you love steak. We love, if we're thinking clearly, if we're thinking biblically, we love, love the Ohio State Buckeyes, right? If you're thinking clearly and using the word as a guide, you do. Um, there's, there's puppy love, right? And it is, it is that saying that we say, well, it's real to the puppy. It is. As far as that young person knows, that's love, right? It's, it's, it's real to them. There's romantic love. There's family love. We could go on and on. Even first Corinthians 13, right? We call it the love chapter. It's describing love. It's not really defining it. And actually, if you wanted to get Technical. It's describing specifically the unique love that there should be within the body of Christ among its members in community with one another more than it's describing romantic love, although it's, it's a beautiful chapter. I don't mean to take away from it. So if you, you think about all of those things, the difficulty of explaining it, the different kinds of it, the different degrees, to be loved by God is even more difficult to define because God is not a human being, right? God the Father is in a completely different category. What does it mean that He 
loves. There are songs to sing at Christmas. There's hope. And as we've been talking through the the four Sundays of of Advent, there's hope, there's prophecy, there's joy, because there was love. Long before, love long before we ever existed, that has always existed in God's heart. Love that wasn't there because it had been earned, but because as John, the disciple Jesus, loved, tells us in 1 John 4, 8, God is love. Love is part of the essence of God. And if God is love, then only God is able to properly define love. If He is what it is, only He truly knows what it is. We love because we were made in God's image and likeness then, right? And this morning, I don't mean to demean our love between one another and all these things or or for our our spouses or anything like that. That's not my point this morning. I'm saying that when it comes to really defining it, God is love. The ability to love is not intrinsic to us. It's not part of our essence like it is to God. It's created or drawn out by someone or something, right, for us. God is love before there is ever an object to be loved. So love is something that is actually, if we want to zero in on it, purely and exclusively divine. Well, does the Word of God, the revelation of Himself in the person and work of His Son Jesus, does it ever tell us what love is, this thing that God also is? Love is the grace of God extended to undeserving sinners in salvation. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for this day. I thank You for this moment. I thank You for everyone that has come into this room. And Lord, I pray that we together would understand these verses. So Father, please overshadow me that you might achieve that end by the power of your Holy Spirit through this message. For all of us, I pray and ask these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me read 1 John 4, 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So the first thing he does is say, right, so he's, he's been talking about love, so he, he, he introduces the category, right? In this is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This text tells us two things about love. One, that love was made manifest among us when God sent his only son into the world in order that we might live through him. God chose to make his love known and he did that by sending Jesus. And two, the second thing, is that love is not what we have or feel in our hearts towards God, right? Humans cannot define love. We don't own the market on it. We don't get to decide what it is. 
what's the, the phrase that's used so often now? Love is love. Love is love. Well, what is love, though? Right? You can say that. Well, love is love. What is it, though? If love is just a feeling of intense affection and desire for a person, then sure, love is love. But love is not just a feeling of intense affection and desire. It's part of the essence of who God is. It is not merely earthly. It is impossible to properly define love without taking into account the one who is love. This text is telling us that love is actually wrapped up in God sending His Son for the purpose of being the propitiation for our sins. Love was revealed when God sent His Son to be the wrath-absorbing sacrifice for our sins. That's what propitiation means. All I want to do this morning is ponder those two ideas. At Christmas, we celebrate the coming of Jesus into the world, God sending His Son to us. June and I were talking this past week in the office about Christmas carols and how few of them, when you think about it, really focus on the subject of love. It's hard to find one that goes with the theme of love. Most of them focus on peace, joy, celebration, prophecy, salvation, all crucial themes of the Christmas story, right? But the sending of Jesus was motivated primarily by love. And in this text, specifically, God's love for sinners who needed salvation. It was love for his enemies. Now, think about that for a minute. Think about this. I want those of you in this room who have children or are going to have children, I want you to imagine for a moment willingly offering up the life of your child to die for your worst enemy at the peak of their hatred for you. I could not do it. I could not do it. I I have to be honest with you. I don't know that I could offer up one of my children's lives for somebody that I love. Let alone my enemies that hate me. It's impossible to imagine, isn't it? It's impossible to imagine, which means, here's the point. On our best days, we don't truly know what love is. If this is love and we could not do that, why do we think we know what love is? All theology begins and ends in this one fact, Jesus loves me. The text Steve read this morning and the text here in 1 John, they both say the same thing. And we we tend to read John 3.16 as a statement about the amount or the volume of God's love um, because of the way we normally read the word so. Like we would say, I love you so much to express how much. And so when we read for God so loved the world, that's how we read it. He loved us so much. But John 3.16 is a description of how God loves us. It's not a statement of volume. It's not a statement of amount, which by the way, doesn't diminish the volume or the amount of God's love in any way. It's just not how the verse was written. God does not have to gush with words to prove his point. We do. The amazing thing about God's love is not the volume. 
the amazing thing about God's love is the presence of it at all. God's love is saying something about God's value, God's worth, long before it's saying anything about ours. It's talking about who He is, not us. We should not be loved by God. We are His enemies, and it's our fault. So when we come across a text in Scripture talking about God loving us, the point is not to look in a mirror and say, I must really be something. The point is to look up and say, who are you that you would love me? God loved the, loved the world by sending Jesus to die for us. True love, then, is an impulse that was not earned by the recipient of it, but stems unbidden from the source of it. The death of Jesus was not a mere offering. It wasn't a gesture. It was accomplishing salvation. That's how Hebrews, which we were in before we stopped for Advent, talks about what Jesus did at the cross. He obtained eternal redemption. He didn't make redemption hypothetical. God's love for the world, which was demonstrated by the death of His only Son, does something. It achieves something. Divine love is not even the pinnacle of what we know as love. Right? God's on a different scale. You can't Bring him down here and say he's the top lover. No, no, no. He's in a different category. His love secures eternal life for everyone who believes in him. Love is found in salvation. It has to do at its core with grace. Right? Eternal life is not something we gain. It's not something we're brought into. Once we decide to have faith in Jesus, it is granted to us. It is not gained by us. And its source, the source of salvation, is love. Marriage is not a job offer to another person. Right? It's not. Could you imagine if what, if what I would have said when I proposed was, listen, I'm giving you the opportunity to work for me and earn my love over the course of the next however many years it takes for you to do it. Exactly. Could you imagine? When I married Christy, I wasn't thinking, well, now she works for me. I have an employee, right, that, that, that I will let try to earn my love. I'll marry her to see if she's worthy. If she proves herself, then I will love her in return and we'll stay together. I will marry her to see if she can live up to my expectations. I wouldn't be married to her if I said those things. I married her because, like I said, I would rather die than be without her. That's all I know to say. If, if you said, how do you know that you love her? That's what I would say. If 50 years later, she is the exact same woman that stood across from me that Sunday afternoon in 2002, I'd be more happy, not less happy. And what am I? That's my point in sharing that. I can feel that in my bones about this woman. And what am I? I'm a human being that comes from the dust originally. 
do we think God refers to us as his beloved in his word because he thinks of us as employees? If love is God sending his son to be the propitiation for our sins, and that's what it is, if that's what it is, it means he loves me even though I am a sinner. That's what the death of Jesus did. It covered my sins. It paid for them. It took away the death penalty I had earned because of them. We are loved before we are clean. I was loved as someone that needed purified, not as someone that was pure. And I wasn't pure when he saved me. Salvation doesn't make me into something that is lovable because I prove myself worthy of love over time. So the love is like a promise that depends on something in the future coming true. Love for me saved me. God counted me pure and righteous when he saved me. Because through Christ, he has washed away what makes me impure and has decided he will no longer hold it against me. And because he has granted to me the righteousness of Christ as my standing before him. His love did that for me. But God proves his love for us in this While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. God proves that he loves us. How does he prove your love to me, God? By loving us when we were not lovable. We don't understand. I don't either. What sin is. We don't understand the horrible impassable separation that exists between a human being and God the Father, our Creator. Therefore, we have no clue what it is to be loved by Him while we're still at that distance. God loved us while we were in open rebellion against Him. I think we think sometimes God loved us because He knew that we would turn out all right. No, we don't. We don't turn out all right, and that's not why he ends up loving us. He loved us before we turned out anything. If you put all these verses that talk about God's love for us and its connection to the death of his son for us together, a composite begins to emerge. That should wrap around us like a warm blanket this morning. Because life will often make you feel feel that there's no way God actually loves you. Things break down. Relationships crumble. Prayers do not get answered like we hoped. Loved ones die. Bodies decay. Things are forgotten. Bills mount. Situations deteriorate. Questions rise. Answers fade. But the word of God reveals a truth we cannot, must not forget. The love of God for you is not waiting to be proven in any given moment. 
whether or not he loves us is never an issue that is in doubt because its existence for us has nothing to do with us. It has already been proven. It's already been proven. Do you understand the mo- at the most fundamental level of being a Christian boils down to whether or not you believe the gospel all the time, every day? How do we know that God loves us? How, how has he proven it? I'm not in Romans 5, 8, except as the sinner that got loved. God doesn't have to keep doing things or not doing things so that we can finally say at the end of the road, okay, he did love me. I guess he did. No, it's, it's been proven and settled and finished before we were ever born. It was waiting to wash over me in full before I ever had a single breath because it was there before I ever did. God's love is so different from every other love and part of our struggle as Christians to feel secure is because we think of God's love as merely a higher form of human love so when we've been betrayed when we've been hurt when we've been let down we tend to think when we've blown it with someone and maybe damaged their love for us we treat God this way So when we do wrong or mess up or blow it or don't do whatever we think we should have done, what do we question? We question his love. It must have changed because I did something wrong. We call it perfect love. We call God's love perfect love because we've attached this earthly label to it. And so we say God's love is unconditional. That's what makes it perfect. That's what makes it so great. Where does the Bible say that God's love is unconditional? Beloved, God's love is not unconditional. God's love is salvific. It saves. It saves because we don't meet the conditions to be loved by Almighty God. If there were no conditions, the cross is not necessary. And the cross is the demonstration, the proof of what? The love of God. God is holy. God is not an idolater. Right? God as righteous loves only what is righteous. He doesn't love what's evil. God knew that. And so designed that his son would be the propitiation for our sins. God made provision for us to meet his conditions by being in his son, his beloved, Jesus Christ. That's how we get that label, being loved. We're in Christ. So you don't, it's, it's never, we don't look forward unsure of whether or not we're loved. With God, we never have to do that. God didn't stop being who God was so that he could love us. Right? He, that's not the way it works. There was a condition to be met. Right? Be holy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength. Right? Th- th- those are the terms. We can't do that. So what does God do? Because he loves us. Sends his son to become that for us. And we are saved by going to him and saying, I believe in you. I trust in you. For my salvation. I want to be in you. 
We never have to wonder, ever. You never have to wonder if this thing we do, or this thing we forgot, or this thing we messed up, or this bad decision we made is going to change our situation with him. That's why Hebrews tells us you come boldly. You never have to come like this, right? Don't look at me, right? You don't ever have to come that way. Not because God doesn't take sin seriously. It's because he has And what Jesus did for our sin is always enough. We never have to wonder if we've gone too far. That's that's heaping onto God the earthly limits of love and grace and mercy. Because the love of God has already been proven. It was not obtained by anything we did. Therefore, it will not be lost by anything we've done. That's not the way the love of God works. He proved that he had it for us by giving his son for us, remember, while we were unlovable. And you could read Romans 5.8 as, as a verse that only applies up to the moment you get saved. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But after I believed in him, I, I've, I've never sinned again. When is Romans 5.8 ever not talking about you and me? When? When are we not sinners? Right? When we're sleeping, dreams are probably evil too. I mean, when, 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 do you, do you understand that? When am I not what God says he died for me as that? He died loving you as what you were. He didn't die, this is important, he didn't die loving the you that you would become after you knew him. That's so important. You're never, you and I are never going to get worse than we were when we were unregenerate and didn't know him. And he loved us then. And he didn't die, like I said, loving the you that you would become after you know him. He died loving you as what you were before you did. Don't ever forget that. His love meets the conditions for us. When Jesus appeared by the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, as God the Son in the form of a literal human embryo, God was manifesting his love right there. God gave his son to give us life. That is love. God was rescuing us from the death we were dying as human beings without salvation in this world. Do we understand this morning the implications of this for our souls? In this is love, John says. Not that we have loved God. Again, love isn't defined from the earth. When God gave the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, It's not a challenge. He's showing us how desperately we need a savior. Because not only can we not do that, we don't even know how to do that. What does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength? Define that. Define it. Well, here's how you love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. All right, tell me. Well, you obey him. If you love him, you keep his commandments. Good. Yes. All right. How's everybody doing? 
How much does everybody here love God this morning? If that's right, we're going to be honest. If the standard is actually you keep his commandments if you love him, whose commandment keeping is good enough to prove that they love God? He proved it. How are you proving it? How are you doing it, proving it? So what do we do with the law? We dumb it down and make it obeyable, saying that we respect it. Don't you care about the law? Okay. All right. Let's let's do that then. Whose commandment keeping is good enough to prove that they love God? Who is obeying that commandment? Well, it's important. Then here's how you right? Well, what what it really you really you just have to try. What matters is that you try because God looks on the heart. That's why Jesus died. Because really, God's okay if you just try really hard. God, that's, that's really who God is. The holy God, three times holy, indescribably holy, dwells in unapproachable light. Really, really, if you want to get technical, the cross was just kind of a, a kind of an overblown thing. And if you just try your best, right? If you listen to country music long enough, you'll hear that. Right? Fathers don't just love their children every now and then. Right? You get up there, you're like, look, I did my best. Well, you come on in. Forget what Jesus did. You did your best. And I'm a softy. I'm a big softy. So you come right in here. You live or die if you live under the law by whether or not you keep it. Period. Trying means nothing. You do it, you obey it, you succeed, or you die. Are we called, in 1 John 3.18, not only to love in word, but also in deed and in truth? Yes, we are. Should we be obeying that? Yes, we should. I'm just asking you, in your heart, answer honestly to yourself. Are you doing that? Are you loving not only in word, but in deed and in truth? And just think about three people in your life. Three people. Are you loving them not only in word, but also in deed and also in truth? How are you doing? You see, the minute you step out of grace, your only option is performance. If that's how you're going to find your security and your identity. It has nothing. Look. It doesn't mean that it's not right or good to do good works. Of course it is. I'm asking, what are you looking to as the basis for why God loves you and why you are saved and how you'll stay saved? That's what we're talking about here. We are called to obey that. The issue, however, is that while we might obey sometimes, we are not obeying all the time. Beloved, We are never at any moment of our lives ever obeying enough that if in that moment Jesus pulled away his blood, we would be able to stand under the weight God's holiness requires with our own works and on our own merit. Ever. Ever. And if you believe that you would be, I don't know if you're saved, but it's not my call. That's why this is so important. That's why this is so important. We need to know that whether or not God loves us is not based on whether we obey. The love is proven before I obeyed or disobeyed. Do you see that? It was proven before we even had the chance to. 
It was made manifest when God sent Jesus on that night so long ago. It was settled when the son he sent died on the cross to absorb God's wrath, which stood over us because of our disobedience. Don't ever think God's grace means that God is soft on sin. The cross is where God's position towards sin is most clear. That's how serious God takes it. And it will always take it because the sacrifice Jesus made there had to be sufficient enough to cover all of my sin, even the ones I haven't committed yet, or I have no hope and I have no salvation. To be loved by God, who can describe that? How can we define it? And beloved, if I may be so bold, a tragedy has happened and we don't even know it. We aren't even aware of it. Christianity has become primarily a statement of people's love for God and what they can do for God when its source and its essence is God's love for us. We get so focused on the level of our love for God that the true source of our salvation The death of his love for us, which is what saves us, gets lost in the shuffle. It's not even the main love that we talk about. We're always talking about ourselves. I'm this, I'm that, what can I do? Right? Where am I, where am I doing? What, how am I doing? What, what is happening here? How am I working here? What am I doing there? What am I doing there? What am I doing there? I want to prove that I love him. Prove that, right? It's just, we're fixated on our love as though it's the main story in the universe, what we can do for God, how we can best love him, but we don't even know how to define what we're measuring ourselves by. Do you see how subjective it becomes? And we weren't meant to live subjectively. Love is divine. It's not human. I'm not saved by my love for God. I'm saved by his love for me. Right? The spirit has to be in me for love to come out of me. He has to produce it in me. I can't do it. Not the love that God requires. So why would the focus of my salvation ever be me? Right? We, we will serve one another and love our neighbors and love our enemies out of joy and hope and peace and for the glory of God when we truly embrace the reality and the depth of God's love for us. So believe the gospel. Because God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbors and our enemies and our brethren, they do. Think about people you've known in your life. Just think about it. I'm not talking down about them. Think about people you've known in your life that weren't loved by somebody extremely important and central to their lives. Maybe they, um, people that were abandoned by a parent or a spouse. Just think about people that you know who have had something horrible like that happen to them. Or maybe that's your story. What is someone like that defined by? Who who are they? How would you describe a person like that? Everything they do is an attempt to be loved. Everything they do is to earn someone's love. So they live that way. And what does that do to a person like that? It makes it almost impossible for them to ever be in a healthy relationship, doesn't it? Right? Because they they end up trying too hard, becoming codependent, 
dealing with psychological issues, etc., etc., do we realize then the tragedy it is when God has already proven his love for us and we keep living like people who honestly believe we have to go out there and earn it? You are loved and it's written in the heavens in blood and it can't be erased. Stop trying to earn it. What you and I are able to work up as love for God is not love. That's not where love is found. That's not where love is defined. Love is not the result of coercion. Right? Look at the text. Love is something we are safe under. It's, it's not something we're in danger of not doing well enough to earn or to keep. Love doesn't do that. Love saves. Right? Love has given us life. My love for God is a response of thanksgiving and joy. It is not the terms of a work agreement. When Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, it wasn't a threat. That's not the way to read that passage. It was a statement of the quality and the power and the perfection of his love. Why do I think that? Why do I think when Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, was a statement of fact, not a threat? Because later on in this chapter, he says that we love because he first loved us. 419. That was given to John from the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of Christ. Jesus was making a statement of fact. Keeping the commandments is not the result of effort. Keeping the commandments is what happens because I have been loved. Obedience doesn't flow out of fear or obligation. It's the result of being loved because it's not what is earning my salvation. That's not what obedience is. Don't treat your obedience like it's doing anything except showing that you have been loved or it will become, in your eyes, the means of your very salvation and no one is saved by works. We've probably all experienced, I think, what... The text is driving out here. We, we, we've been loved by someone and it's pulled us towards them. Somebody that just loves us, accepts us, wants to be with us, and it's pulled us toward them. What love is there like God's love? Who loves like God does? I mean, what, what could God's love do? God did not demonstrate his love for us after we proved ourselves. Again, who would call that love anyway? Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? Now that we need you, Rudolph, we love you. Right? We treated you like trash for an hour. But this storm, does anybody have a light up nose? The, the guy that we've ridiculed for an hour? Hey, man, with your nose so bright, would you please save Christmas for everybody? Right? Man. Come on. All through, we're just telling our kids all through Christmas, you got the little psycho elf on the shelf watching kids, right? You better be good. You better be good because if you're not good, you don't get, you don't get presents. You be good or Santa Claus won't come. You, you, you be good or you don't get anything. You, you just ingrain that into the kids. We ingrain that into our children and we do it all the time. Don't let it ruin your Christmas. Don't, I didn't say you can't show Rudolph or anything like that. 
that's fine. <laughs> we watch it too. It's all right. <laughs> but I, I, I hope you understand what I'm, what I'm trying to say. When, when God sent Jesus to lay down his life willingly to absorb the wrath that deserved to be poured out on us, don't ever forget that. That's when the world was given the notice of what love is. Love is divine. It's divine. God loving us does not mean he merely has strong feelings for us. Do you understand that? It's not that flimsy. Right? Every every uh, pathway of human love has the potential to be damaged over time. Right? Maybe somebody stops looking the same or stops acting the same. And so it just changes. You must understand he's not like that. God's love means he moved to save us. Love is demonstrated most clearly in the gospel, in redemption, in God sending Jesus to die for his enemies. That is what love actually is. Love is something that saves God's enemies. It's part of the divine essence. Love is the grace of God extended to undeserving sinners in salvation. There's a different John, John the Baptist, who cried out in the first chapter of this John's gospel, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Caleb Keith wrote very wisely in response to that, The most offensive thing about Christianity to a sinful and obstinate world is not its moral decrees, but the declaration that Christ bears your sin. That's absolutely true. We think that we're hated because there are moral decrees within Christianity. You know what people really hate? Free grace. Because we are a world filled with prideful earners who want to work for what we get or it just doesn't feel the same. You want to know how messed up and corrupted and depraved and lost without any sense of direction the world of humanity we, we, we actually are. We're mad that God loves us. We're mad that God will forgive people free of charge. And grace is the final nail in that coffin. The unearned, unmerited, undeserved love of God that washes over us in waves is offensive to a world of earners. So you have to put down everything you work with. All your tools, all the means by which you're trying to build an identity and achieve all of it. you got to put it all away, lay it all down. Don't be offended this morning. Everyone in this room knows they need to be loved like this if they have any real hope of ever really being loved. It's going to have to be divine love. And what we celebrate at Christmas means we are loved like that. Let God define love. Let God define you. His love is the source of this thing we celebrate called salvation. Come to Jesus. Know what it is to actually be loved. I'm going to pray for us. June is going to come and play. We'll sing 
a last song together. I'll be down front here if anybody needs to come and pray for any reason. Or if you want to join our church or be baptized because you believed in Jesus and want to show what he's done for you, any of those things, you're more than welcome to come forward. Jesus stands ready to save because Jesus loves. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word, Father, for your love and for your grace that you've demonstrated through your son, Jesus Christ, and proven completely and perfectly. Lord, may we accept it. May we believe that it's there and come running, hands empty and arms wide open to you every day. I ask and pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. everybody for coming this morning i hope you all have a great day remember there's no service tonight and we have a christmas eve service at six o'clock on tuesday all right you're all welcome uh, all welcome to come i hope to see you if we don't i hope you have a wonderful christmas and enjoy your time with your family all right let's pray and we'll be dismissed father we praise you and thank you this morning for all that you are and all that you are for us lord may you fill our hearts with these truths and i ask and pray these things as we go In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen.